Well, in January of 1936, King George V of England died and left his throne to his eldest son, Edward. Now, Edward um, was an interesting fellow. Um, Edward basically lived a year in turmoil, spent the whole, whole year from January to December just kind of leaving the country in turmoil, not sure where the country was going to go. Um, Edward really didn't want the, 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 the throne. He didn't want to be king. And the, the, English, the English government or the English um, kingdom was on the brink of World War II. They were slipping closer and closer to World War II in a battle with Germany. And the closer it got, Edward V or Edward VIII just kind of said, you know what, I don't want to do this. I want to live and I want to party. I want to do my own thing. And so in December of 1936, Edward abdicated his throne and he turned over the throne to his younger brother, uh, King George, King George VI. Now King George... He wasn't being raised for the throne. Edward was being raised for the throne, and he wanted that. That's he was given all of the classes and all of the the speeches. He was taught how to be a king. George, not so much. George was the younger brother, and he was assumed not never to receive the throne. Matter of fact, he he didn't want the throne for another reason because he stammered and he stuttered and he he couldn't give good speeches. And he knew in order to be a good king, he had to give a good speech and rally the country around his speech. And so he didn't want the throne. But yet, in December of 1936, he unwillingly accepted the kingship of England. And he rallied his country through the battle of World War II and successfully bringing that country and guiding that country uh, in a defeat against Germany. Now, I've recently read a book that said that same war, World War II, was a turning point in the United States' history. The claim was that in World War II, the U.S. started to move from embracing the community life to embracing this individualistic life. That the way that we lived, we started to live more as independent, individual type of people. Is this true? I don't know. Or is it a nostalgia just kind of looking back and saying, those were the years of yesterday, and those were great years, and we need to live that way? Or... Is individualism an American problem only? Or is it a problem that's bigger than that? Is it a human condition problem? I fall on that last statement. That's, I think it's more of a human condition problem. I believe that individualism is a bigger problem than just the United States. Now, hearing the term individualism, just kind of thinking through, Dave asked me a couple weeks ago to preach a one-week sermon series, and so I thought I would preach it on individualism. Um, a one-week standalone sermon series. I thought that was funny. Apparently, Bob thought that was funny too. But, but I know individualism can kind of have a nebulous, nebulous feel to it. What does individualism mean? And individualism, is it good? Is it bad? Can it be good? Can it be bad? So hopefully by the end of our time here, those are, there's a couple of things that I hope that we can kind of discuss and talk, with, talk through. One is that I hope to clarify individualism. What does individualism mean? Good, bad. At least two ways of expressing individualism. There's sure many ways of expressing individualism, but I just wanted to address two ways of uh, 
expressing individualism, maybe some of the consequences that go along with it. And then what are some indications of a balanced life? How do we know if we're living that individualistic life or not? How do we balance that out? Now, as Dave mentioned, you guys are seated a little bit differently here. There's a reason for that because we're going to have some discussion. And I know that it's not going to get really deep in these groups here because I'm not going to give you a lot of time to discuss. Um, but what I want you guys to do, I'm going to put up a question or two on the, on the PowerPoint here. And what I want you to do is I wanted you to discuss amongst the two, three, four people in your group. If you're in a group that's one or two, maybe you want to mix it up and get with a different group. Um, but I'm going to throw up a question here on the board. I want you guys to discuss it, and then I want you to text me your response. So you're going to have to have a cell phone in your group, at least one cell phone. Text me your response. The, uh, my phone number is going to be up there. My cell number is going to be up there. So you can text me your response. So the question is this. What do you think of when you hear the word individualism? What do you think of, what do you, what do you think of when you hear the word individualism? All right. I've gotten several responses, great responses, and I know Peter's going to text me in the middle of my sermon when I'm trying to be up here. I know that's what he's going to do. So, no, I didn't hear you say that, but I figured you would do that. Uh huh. Thanks. Blah blah blah. Thanks, Peter. A lot of good ones. Self-centered, self-serving, individualism. I, I don't need anybody but myself. Overly self-aware, selfishness. Focused on self, independence to be myself, a false sense of protection, rights, selfish, to be different, uh, to be different, it's all about me. These are all good responses, and those are some of the same ones that I came up with because I kind of saw that there's two ways that just two extremes of individualism. You know, we, we have this idea that there's this self over everyone else. Remember I talked about King Edward, or uh, King, yeah, King Edward. You know, he wanted, to, he wanted to live for himself. He wanted to <clears throat> put himself above his own country. He wanted his own desires. He wanted to fulfill his own desires. And so there's this idea that, um, you know, forget what everybody else says. I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, that's carrying it to the extreme. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to think only about myself. It's kind of a question that could be asked is, what percentage of the, fine do I, what percentage of the time do I find talking about myself? It's a good question to ask to kind of depend on or to determine if you're being kind of an individualistic mindset. And then on the other side, there's this whole others over self. You're putting the group over yourself. You're kind of being absorbed into this group. And that's kind of on the other extreme. So self putting self over the group, and putting the group over self. And for this extreme over here, that's kind of a danger too. It's not a question up here, but can anybody think of a danger on putting others over self to the extreme? What's that? Drink the Kool-Aid. We have some in the back. You know, group think. You don't think for yourself. You, you just go along and you don't develop who you are. And so there's a danger if we swing one way or the other, there's a danger if we're focusing totally on self or focusing totally on the group. Um, can I never think for myself is kind of the mindset. And it depends on the circumstance because the individualism can be good. Let's say we go out and we want to um, raise some money to rebuild a house for somebody in Des Moines. 
So we go around and we're raising this money. We raise the money. We raise the money. There's five or six of us and, you know, maybe five of us say, hey, this is really good. We spent a lot of time. We deserve to go out and deserve a break today. What's that, McDonald's or Burger King? I deserve a break today. So we're going to take some of this money and we're going to go buy ourselves some lunch. Is that a good time to be an individual? Yeah, to stand up and say, I'm going to say no to this. All right, so there are good times to be individuals. It just depends on the circumstance. The context that I want to look at today is individualism as it relates to God's plan. All right. Individualism as it relates to God's plan. When does individualism become a danger to God and his plan, and what are the effects? So next question is, up on, is going to be up on the screen. What questions do people ask that value individualism? Nope. Same type of question. What attitudes are expressed by people who value individualism? Or what questions might people ask that value individualism? So what attitudes are expressed by people who value individualism? Go ahead and kind of discuss for another minute or two and text me your responses. All right, good. What's in it for me? That's one of the attitudes that can be expressed. Selfishness, in my opinion. Self-righteousness. Kind of an attitude of self, being self-absorbed. I can do all the things on my own instead of I can do all things through Christ. A keep-your-distance attitude toward others. It's kind of, hmm, don't want you around. Manipulative. All good responses. Another one that I had thought of was wanting to be noticed. Kind of, I'm going to put myself on the stage because I want to be noticed. Um, and that's kind of the, the selfish. Usually when we think of individualism, we think of a lot of the selfishness type of aspects of individualism. Kind of, what are my needs? And how, is it, how can I feed my needs type of mindset? But on the other side, we said there were two extremes, but kind of down the middle, there's a positive way to, to respond to this whole individualism. And that's kind of a uniqueness mindset. Kind of, how is it that God has uniquely made me, and what are some ways that I can use that uniqueness to serve others? Um, kind of the attitude is, use your uniqueness in order to in order for the group to be noticed. So there's this idea that I am uniquely made. I'm not going to be absorbed into this group and not think on my own, but I am going to be uniquely made, and I'm going to figure out a way that I can be part of this group and help this group go forward. I want to take a look at two passages today. Uh, one is in Joshua chapter 7. That's the first passage that I want to look at today. Joshua chapter 7. It's on the uh, PowerPoint up here, but if you can't read that, uh, it's a little small. Joshua chapter 7, and just as you guys are turning, I just kind of give you the context of the passage. Um, Israel just got done wandering in the wilderness, and Moses died. Joshua took over leadership. They enter into the promised land, and they go up and they fight against Jericho, a great big city, walled city, and the walls come tumbling down after seven days, um, and then marching around the city, and then they go on and say, okay, our next city is going to be Ai. Ai is a smaller city. It's not quite as big as Jericho. They send in a group to kind of scout it out. And they say, oh, not a problem. Only a couple thousand people. Send in half of the troops. We're good. 
So they send in half the troops. They get routed. A um, couple dozen guys get killed. And now Joshua's on his face before God saying, Oh God, why us? What happened to us? Um, and that's kind of where we find Joshua. Your name is going to be, you know, run, rung through the, put through the ringer, God. And in verse 10 of chapter 7, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. This is the first, kind of the, the, the selfish aspect of individualism. Um, it's, it, and what happens is Achan is the guy that ends up stealing some stuff from Jericho and keeping it for himself. And what happens as a result of this? Does God say, Achan, you've sinned? No, in verse 11, he says, Achan has sinned, or he doesn't even say who sinned. He just says, Israel has sinned. So Achan's negative consequences, his selfishness, his individualism has affected the entire group. Um, and, and times others suffer because of what we do or what we don't do. Um, I... My wife and I just moved into a house, and we've gotten about 20 compliments about our, our uh, landscaping. All we've done is we've made a mess. Um, we've dug up things, and we haven't really put any flowers back in. Um, but they keep coming by and saying, oh, you guys are doing such a great job with your landscaping. We keep saying, we just keep digging things up. Don't know. They never invite or they never say, well, come and help you. They just keep saying, you're doing a great job. So the, the previous owner must have done a horrible job at landscaping. Um, from what we understand, they let, you know, 18, 20-inch weeds grow in the backyard. And, and so, but their, their landscaping or lack of landscaping affected the neighborhood and affected everybody else. Uh, and so I know that's a small thing, but it, it shows that how we respond, if we don't do something that we're supposed to do, that can, that can negatively affect the larger group. If we put ourselves up and say, I'm going to have a selfish individualistic mindset, then that's going to make the group um, not function the way it's supposed to. In this case, <laughs> Israel got defeated. They got routed by the, um, by the aliens, we'll call them. But if you kill one in verse 12, it says, therefore the people cannot carry out what they're supposed to do. As a result of a negative, or as a, as a result of that selfish individualistic mindset, that doesn't allow the group to carry out what they're supposed to do. They were supposed to defeat Ai. They were supposed to sweep the country and take over all of the land, but they couldn't go forward because of something that, that was uh, negatively done, that was individualistically done. Um, and, you know, the, the, the thing is that all of us are addicts. All of us are addicted to individualism. All of us can fall into that same type of rut. We can say, you know what, I don't feel like, and you fill in the blank. I know I've been there. 
I'm sure all of us have been there to a certain point where we say, you know what, today I don't feel like blah. You know, we're all there. I get that. I've been there. But what does God say? What does God tell Israel to do? In verse 13, he doesn't say, waller in that. He doesn't say, you know, stay down. He says, get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. He says, turn back to me. Look to me. Depend upon me. I'm going to be the one that gives you the strength. I'm going to be the one that's going to be with you and help you through this difficult time or through the time that you don't feel like doing anything. He says, before you make a rash decision, step back. Step back and take a look and evaluate. You know, our culture can tend to beat us down. Um, our, our culture tends to have an individualistic mindset. So another question I want to throw out for you guys to discuss is how does our culture encourage individualism? How does our culture encourage individualism? Think about that, discuss it in, in a word or two or three or four. Text me response. Customization and rewarding individuals. Just do it. Facebook. That's a good one. Promoting vanity. Manipulative. Uh, our culture bombards us with this idea of individualism. Um, and we as, we as individuals have to learn how to, how to combat that, how to not necessarily combat that, but how to filter individualism um, and so that we can then develop community. Because we don't want to just become a bunch of mindless individuals. That's, that's kind of been the mantra against Christians. Oh, you guys are just mindless. You don't think about anything. But no, we want to be known as individuals that think, but that engage our culture. So we have to understand our culture, that our culture is individualistic, and we've got to learn how to, if you want to say, infiltrate that culture uh, without falling into the, what, what media tells us, uh, what media tells us we deserve to have or be certain things. Um, ear, earbox, earphones versus boomboxes. Um, that could be good, it could be bad. Uh, <laughs> but marketing and advertising. So there's a lot of things that culture throws at us to encourage us to be individuals. But we've got to, in a sense, fight against that to develop community. Um, so what are we to do? Paul addresses some of this in 1 Corinthians 12. So I just want to turn over to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12. Because Paul here is addressing a group of uh, self-promoting arrogant people. Um, they really thought a lot about themselves and how they could please themselves, kind of living that selfish individualistic mindset. And I know this passage t deals with the spiritual gifts, and I'm not going to get in-depth with the spiritual gifts, but I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the uniqueness that God brings into each individual and how Paul, Paul talks this through. So I'm going to pick up um, verses 1 through 6, just talk a little bit about there, there being the same Spirit, uh, a variety of different services, but one Lord, one Spirit. In verse 7, um, it, it, 
Paul kind of talks a little bit, hey, you need to have the proper perspective when it comes to this whole giftedness thing. Verse 7, he says, proper perspective is this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He says, uh, first of all, the source of your gift that you have, it's not yourself. It's not meant for yourself. The purpose of it is for the church, for the edification of the church, for the building up of the church. Um, so it's kind of the, the sources of the gifts is the Spirit or God. The purpose of the gifts is for the church. You know, it's, it's not all about me. It's like me going canoeing. I usually go canoeing once a month. I'm trying to find a place to go canoeing in Iowa. And so I've been checking around, and it would be like me planning a, a canoeing trip and me telling my family, hey, we're going to go canoeing, but I want you guys to pack all of the clothes. I want you guys to get all of the lawn, or I want you to get all of the food together. I want you guys to do all of the lining up. And then when we get to the campsite, I want you guys to set everything up. I want you guys to set the tent up. And I want you guys to cook the food, tear the tent down. And matter of fact, when we go canoeing, I'm just going to sit in the canoe and I'm going to have you guys row. Wouldn't be very long before I would be either dunked in the water and or drowned. Um, and if my family were to agree for me to go canoeing with them next year, things would have to change. You know, and so... This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the gift that God has given you, it's not about you. It's not about just me and keeping that gift to me so that I can become great and so I can put myself on, on some platform. God is saying that it's about the body. Learn the individualistic. You guys each have a gift, but it's for the body. If we continue on, he talks a little bit more about specific gifts in the verses following. But picking up in verse 11... And he, this is, I know God, know God really values individualism because he says all these are empowered by one and the same. All these gifts that God has given are empowered by, uh, one, by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God has individually given you a gift as he has decided to give you a gift to be used to edify the body. So God values individuals, individualism but he wants us to use it the right way. He knows the body works much better when all of the people, all of the individuals do their job. Um, you know, in order to get down the river, everybody's got to canoe and paddle and, you know, bring whatever they need for the, for the trip. Continuing on in verse uh, 12, 12 through 14, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so, is, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of, many's, but of many. God wants us to use our gifts uniquely to move down the river, to, to paddle down the river. Some of you are good at packing, some of you are good at rowing. Some of you are good at dunking, but we're all supposed to use our giftedness to get the canoe down the river. Um, and then he says in verse 15, 15 and 16, Paul is telling them, you know, some of you uh, are feet. Uh, if, if the foot should say, because I am, a, I am uh, not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less 
a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am, an eye, I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make any, it any less part of the body. Paul is saying, don't, just because you're, you don't think you're, you have a gift, don't withdraw from the body. Don't say, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm just going to you know, not do anything. That's not what Paul is saying. He's, saying. he's not saying don't disengage. That, that, that moves you more towards that individualistic mindset. God is, or Paul is saying that each of you have a gift and use that uniqueness. You know, do you see the church as participating in community events? Or do you see the church as something a little bit more? Be like me going to coach a... Some of you are, are coaches in a, you know, rec teams or, you know, softball, soccer, baseball, different teams. Um, and it'd be like going to coach in one of those rec leagues where they provide the equipment for you. They provide the field for you. They provide the players for you. They provide the uniforms for you, etc., etc., etc. And you just show up and coach. And you coach your season, you get done, and then you don't, you don't remember anything about or you don't even think about that team until the next season comes. And that's not what God wants us to do with the church. He doesn't want us just to kind of, oh, I'm going to be disengaged from the church, but God wants us to engage with the church. It goes into that aspect of developing a, where, where is it that you have a personal uh, ministry? An ongoing personal ministry. Where have you kind of done an evaluation and said, God, um, these are the areas where I'm gifted, and so these are areas in the church where I can serve. And maybe, maybe you're there. That's great. If you're there, then look around and say, where is somebody else at, and how can I bring them along in their area of giftedness so that they can serve the church so the body can be the body? Verses 17 to 19. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? God is saying, be satisfied with the gifts that you have. Don't disengage. Use the gifts that you have. Be satisfied with the gifts that you have. And try to figure out how it is that you can use that gift. Saying, don't put your, don't put your gift on a shelf. Use it. I know a, a couple weeks ago, um, I received a letter from a Ms. Kirkle. Ms. Kirkle had this to say about our church. The delicious brunch... You served the residents of our community yesterday. It was a wonderful blessing for all of us. Your kindness and your generosity really show the love of Jesus. This is a lady that was at Sugar Creek. And she wrote a thank you letter for us because we saw the giftedness that we had as a church and sent a group over there to minister to the residents of Sugar Creek. And she saw Jesus in that group that went over there. She went on to say, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you, and again, thank you. Thank you all. It is heartwarming to know there is so, so much goodness in our world. We're so blessed that your church is in Waukee. That's really what we're aiming for, right? We're aiming to find out the gifts that we have, the uniqueness that each of us individually have, so that we can put together, whether it be teams, groups, you know, 
individuals that go out and serve the community and have an impact on the community like this right here, where they say, we're privileged. It's a great thing that Waukee Community Church is in the community of Waukee. You know, some people use individualism as a crutch to please only themselves. My prayer is that we don't do that as a church. We, you know, other people use individualism as a platform to serve others in the needs of the community. And I think that's where we want to be. That's where we're moving. That's where we as a church hope we are seen as in the community. Just as this lady from Sugar Creek had mentioned. You know, we have to learn to live balanced individualism uh, out in our lives. And what is it that that balanced individualism looks like? Well, if you can put it up on the screen. A balanced individualism is living a life that values individuals in community, yet collectively values something larger than oneself. Living a life that values individuals, their uniqueness, how God has made them, in a community, yet collectively values something larger than oneself. I think as a church we value something larger than ourselves, don't we? What do we value larger than ourselves? The glory of God, right? Making Him known in our community. That's our aim. But we can't do that if one of us pulls back and says, oh, I'm going to do this over here, or I don't have a gift, or I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a break. Um, God's plan is much larger than yourself. How, how is it that you as an individual can serve the church? Kind of look around, because the church is us as individuals. Kind of look around. How is it that you, God has given you uniqueness that you can serve those in the body? I'm not trying to, you know, you know uh, take a moment to, to look around. Take a look. I was thinking of, of throwing this out, and I'm, I'm not doing this to harp on the people that are on vacation on Memorial Day. So I, I was going to say, look at the people who aren't here, all right, more than just today. All right, look at the, you know, look around in the body to find people who are consistently missing from the body that you haven't seen them in a while and put your arms around them and say, hey, we miss you. Give them a call throughout the week. Ask them how their boating was this past weekend. Don't do that. <laughs> but just love on people, look around and see people that haven't been here in a while and find out how is it that God has uniquely made me so that I can reach out to them and serve them and draw them back into the body as Christ would. We are the church. We're not just in the church. Nowhere in the Bible have I seen anything that says the spiritual, there is a spiritual gift of attendance. Um, you know, I just haven't found it. We are all to engage in the body. We're all to be part of the body. We're all supposed to live out the gifting that God has given us. You know, King George, King George VI, as I mentioned, he had no desire to be king of England. Matter of fact, he tried to convince his brother. He tried to, he, I don't want, I don't want this responsibility of being a king and leading this nation through World War II. But yet, he put his own individualism aside and gave one of the greatest speeches of, of the World War II era to lead his country into a battle with evil. You know, 
Are you willing to do the same for the church? You know, you might not have all of the giftings that you might think you need, but are you willing to take that step and say, God, you've gifted me in this way. I'm going to take a step to serve. I'm going to take a step to go over to Dearborn, Michigan. That scares me to death to know that I'm going to go to Dearborn, Michigan, and I'm going to serve Muslims, but I'm going to do it. Or you're going to take a step to go overseas to a country where there's a bunch of Muslims. Um, They're just, they're different. Or it might be, I'm going to take a step in my job, in my workplace, to serve somebody that's been really harping on me, that's, that, I, that I don't get along with really well, but I'm going to love them. You know, we're all addicted to individualism. We need to learn how it is that God can help us conquer that addiction to individualism and live a unique life and use the giftingness that God has given us to serve. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Um, as we prepare for one final song, God, I just pray that you would help us to follow you, that um, we would not be individuals that only look out for ourselves, but that we would be individuals that look to see how it is that you have uniquely made us and how it is that we can uniquely serve uh, the body of Christ, that we can serve the community. I pray, God, that you would help us to be that type of individual and not a selfish individual. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.